Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good, that you are gracious, and you cause the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. You cause your sun to shine and the earth to flourish, and, and that you have desire for us to grow and to grow in grace and knowledge of you and your word. And we pray, Lord, you'd fill us with your spirit, give us understanding of your truth, that we can walk in it, that we can show others the way to Jesus, that we could lead them to him, that you would touch us, that you would minister to us, that we would be cleansed, forgiven, and uh, just made whole as we draw near to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12, if you want to turn there. Isn't it funny how we can be proud of our injuries? Right? I think it's kind of funny. You look back on some injury and you go, oh, man. And, and have you ever noticed like when you're, you, you say something has happened to you, you are asking basically for someone else to tell you how they have been afflicted, right? It's just going to happen. You know, you're on a job site with the fellows. You're like, yeah, I cut off my finger, put it in my pocket, drove to the hospital. I'm like, oh, well, my dad, you know, he. And it just, it starts this thing going. Um, but I was... I, I was in year nine, I was pitching, playing baseball, and uh, I was hit with a comebacker. Now, a comebacker is when a ball's hit off the bat so fast that you just have no time to react, and it, it cleans you up, and it hit me right in the stomach. And so uh, I'm kind of writhing on the ground like a fish for a while and a bit embarrassed, but the next day, I showed my un very unsuspecting and surprised English teacher, say, look at this. And I showed him the perfect horseshoe imprint of the seams that had transferred through two layers of clothing on my stomach. And uh, later I heard how he was shot four times in Vietnam and stuff. But, um, but yeah, it was like this is how it is. Pain is so relatable, right? Like me talking about that injury, now you're thinking about the time you were stitched up at halftime to play the second half, or you ran your finger, whole finger through your sewing machine, and uh, how that was unpleasant. But you have these injuries, some of them you, you shake off, some of them they linger for a lifetime, but having an incurable condition, it's a bit different, and people, it affects them differently. There's there's some that are able to accept, like, this is a condition that I have and I need to live with it. I'm going to have to live with it. There's no medical treatment for me. And there's others that will circle the globe looking for a treatment. They'll expend a lot of money and effort hoping for this, you know, fringe treatment that's going to help them. Some people, they, they find a condition depressing and embarrassing. They, they don't want anyone to know that they're struggling in an area or have an illness or a condition, whereas someone else they actually find their identity in it. They celebrate it. They define themselves by it. And they're, they're almost proud of it. They, they see it as a source of strength for them and, and formative. Now, a wonderful thing about our passage today is we have people who suffered from incurable conditions who, when they trusted in Christ and came to him, they were made whole. They were cleansed. And uh, the touch of Jesus... The power of God, it's so beyond our expectation. And the healings that Jesus did, the restoration that he worked in the lives of people, it showed he was able to deal with the, the source of the problem, which is sin that leads to death. He could deal with the source rather than the symptoms. And 
under the curse of the law, right? There in, the, in the law, there was like, if you choose to disobey me, if you forsake my commandments, if you go the ways of these nations that the land is vomiting out before you, these are the things that will happen to you. And, and Jesus Christ has freed us from the curse, the curse of sin, the curse of death, the curse that the law brought. Um, but there are consequences, of course, we'll get into. We have this blessing that our bodies are perishing, but our spirits are being renewed day by day. There's an inner strength that God gives us even when the body begins to fail. And uh, you don't have to be too old to realize that it's happening and that you are going the way of the earth. Uh, So Luke 5, verse 12. And it happened when he, Jesus, was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. Right before this passage, Peter went from calling Jesus master to calling him Lord, forsaking his boat and his catch and following Jesus wherever he went. And now Jesus is in a city and he's met by a man who it says is full of leprosy. Leprosy, an incurable disease, it made a person ceremonially unclean. You were unclean under the law. Now, we know today that leprosy is caused by a bacterial infection. It can be treated with antibiotics um, over six months to a year. You can recover from it. If there's been nerve damage, though, to your eyes or to your extremities, that can't be reversed. Um, But it could be, it can be treated now. It was untreatable and incurable then. And if you were suspected of having leprosy, you were quarantined until you, the priest saw you and determined whether you were clean or unclean. Um, and then it says, if you were pronounced unclean, so if you had this sore on you, and they looked and said, all right, after the seven days, you, you definitely are unclean. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 says, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, can you imagine living this very lonely, isolated, slow death away from the city, away from treatment, away from people who love you, and and you are required to wear torn clothes, And if anyone even came close to you and they had a distance they had worked out, you were to cover your mouth and and say unclean, to warn them not to come near you, lest they also be unclean. On many occasions in the Old Testament, we see leprosy used as judgment by God. Uh, In the case of Miriam, she spoke against Moses and it says she was white. She became just, you know, and that was a sign of leprosy. Um, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, he had gone after Naaman and he lied and he coveted the things that Naaman had brought. And it said that, let the leprosy of Naaman cling to you. And he went out from him leprous. King Uzziah, he was struck with leprosy on the forehead when he went into the temple to offer incense before the Lord. And the priests withstood him and said, hey, this is not your office or your role. You may be king, but this is not your job. And it says he was angry with them. He was filled with rage. And right then, some leprosy broke out on his forehead, and he hurried to get out of there because he recognized the judgment of God. 
And leprosy, as we read in Uzziah's case, it cuts people off from the house of God. You were not able to go to the temple. You were not permitted to offer sacrifices. You were outside the camp. You were outside the congregation. You were unclean. And that's emphasized really strongly in this passage, like you're unclean. And being unclean, you can't go among the people. David, he cursed the house of Joab because he shed innocent blood and said, let there be no one in his house. Let there always be somebody who's poor or hungry or a leper. So there was a really strong stigma attached with leprosy that you were under the judgment of God, that you're unclean, you're under judgment, and you're not deserving of compassion or pity or help because you're a leper. So obviously you have offended God. So it was, there was a lot uh, culturally and according to the law tied up in it because we see it as a judgment of God, um, but we don't know in this case why the man had leprosy. This man full of leprosy, it's an advanced case. He's disfigured. The numbness of extremities, it causes you to damage parts of your body. You don't treat them properly, and then you can, your, your skin basically begins to rot, and you're like walking smell of death. So there's a smell about you, and you look a certain way, and you have these torn clothes, and you're unclean. And it says that he came to Jesus in the city. Okay, he's breaking the law here. He comes into the city where Jesus is, and he falls before him, and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And we see this many times in the New Testament. In fact, every time that I found, it wasn't healing that people sought. It was cleansing when it comes to leprosy because leprosy made you unclean. That was the main issue with leprosy. Um, cleansing, it's washing, purification before God and man. And, and Jesus doesn't upbraid him for breaking the law. Um, and this shows us it's never wrong to come to Jesus. It doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what society thinks. Even a leper was welcome to come before Christ and to worship him and to say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus alone could deal with this issue this uncleanness, this illness, because it was sin that is the source of all these things in the world, the pain, the sorrow. So no matter our history, our condition, the law of the land, it's right for all people to come to Jesus in faith. The man believed that Jesus could heal him, but his, the, the, the thing, he's like, you could cleanse me, but are you willing if you're willing. There's no question about his ability to cleanse him, but are you willing to cleanse me? Have you ever felt like that? Like, Lord, I'm not sure that you'll actually, you want to forgive me. But Jesus is willing. He doesn't don a mask or a gloves or, or anything like that. It says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And he reached out and he touches him. That was so significant because he doesn't have to touch him. But he showed compassion on this untouchable person, the one that could not be touched, that was not legally allowed to be touched. He touches him because he is greater than the law. I bet there were other lepers who were too ashamed to come into the city. They said, well, I don't want to be offending people. Or maybe they didn't believe that Jesus could actually cleanse them. But at the touch of Jesus, the leprosy left the man he was cleansed. He was cured of this disease that previously defined him because he'd go, he's a leper. 
But now he's not a leper. Now he's a new person. Meyer says on the subject of Jesus touching the leper, he says, on the one hand, he knew the ceremonial restrictions were abolished in himself. On the other, he desired to teach that sin cannot defile the divine holiness of the Savior. That's cool, isn't it? That sin cannot defile our Savior. He conquered it. He's defeated it. He's greater than any sin, uh, any uncleanness. It does not stick to him. It's, it is driven away at his touch. Like the man born blind that Jesus healed, we don't know why this man was a leper or why he contracted it, but Jesus was glorified in cleansing him. We can know that. Jesus was glorified. And even if he was afflicted as judgment for sin, Jesus was willing to cleanse him. And what a good picture for us. Like, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter if we are responsible for the condition we find ourselves. Jesus is able to touch you. He is able to cleanse you. He's able to restore you beyond where you were before because now he has a relationship with the living God that he never had. Pretty cool, huh? Luke 5, 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus gave the man this charge. He said, keep a low profile. I know it's going to be tough. Yeah. Keep a low profile, make an offering before the priest as a testimony to them. The word however, in verse 15, it suggests that he was not quiet about it. Um, in Mark 1.45, a parallel passage, it says, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside it in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Now, the real irony of the Mark passage is the context is Jesus commands demons to leave, and he says, be silent and come out of them, and the demons obeyed. Well, this man who comes up to Jesus, he says, be silent and go to the priest. Well, all we read is that he talked about it. He didn't actually, we don't read that he even went. We don't know, but he did the thing that Jesus didn't, he said not to do. But Jesus did not withhold cleansing even from him, even though he wasn't obedient following, which Jesus would have known. Now, the law of Moses that defines leprosy and teaches people like what to look for and what's the difference between clean and unclean, um, and also told the responsibility of the leper it also commanded ceremonial purification and atonement when you were cleansed. And it's quite odd, isn't it, that you would have this, these chapters about how to be cleansed from leprosy and the purification for cleansing when it was impossible at the time, when it was incurable. But God had a purpose and a plan in that. Uh, it's a very elaborate ritual, which I won't go into fully, but the things that he needed to provide... Uh, the initial gift was two living clean birds, uh, hyssop, cedar wood, and scarlet. One of the birds would be killed in a vessel, uh, what does it say, over running water. The living bird would be dipped with the blood, with the scarlet and hyssop. It would be sprinkled on the leper seven times. The living bird would be set free. After that, so it's almost like the scapegoat picture. 
Uh, and then you'd be seven days apart. You would shave your entire body as the leper, seven days apart, wash in water, come back, and if all was good, then you would bring another offering. You would bring two male lambs, a ewe lamb, flour, and oil. And if you didn't have the money for that, you could give a lesser offering of one lamb, less flour, oil, and two birds instead of the lamb. So it's like God wants, he, he made a provision for even the poor to be able to afford this uh, ceremony. And then the sacrifice of the lamb, you were anointed with the blood on the right ear, the right thumb, the right big toe, and then the oil in the same place. Oil on the right ear, right thumb, and right toe. And that's how the priests were anointed, with the oil on the right ear, thumb, and toe. So there's a, there's a lot of significance to it all, and you could uh, look into that. But how would this be a testimony to the priest? Well, the priest is the one who said, you're unclean, you're banished, you're outside the camp, you're unclean. And then here's this guy walking in that you said was unclean, and he looks like a different person. He's not full of leprosy anymore. He looks whole. He's, he's clean. And to see these offered, you'd be thinking, like, how is that possible? And this was a testimony to them that Jesus was able to cleanse sinners. Even someone believed to be under the judgment of God, he could cleanse them. He could make them whole. He has the power over all uncleanness through faith in him. It says, because of the report that went out, multitudes came to hear him and be healed. Now, this word for healing is different from that of cleanse. Uh, this word heal, it is um, to serve, to adore God, to relieve of disease. It's the word from which we derive the word therapy. So it's like people came to him and he, he for healing, he served them, and sometimes it included healing. So it's a pretty general term. Um, the hearing of God's word, because it says they came to hear him. So they came, and it's like the hearing of God's word has a therapeutic effect for our souls, doesn't it? Where we hear it, there's a cleansing that happens, washing in the water of the word. We hear it, we are renewed, we are challenged to believe and to trust. Because of the crowds, it says in verse 16 that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. That it seems the more he was busy, more demands people were placing on him, the more he prayed. And he, he, he moved aside from the people because prayer preceded power. That there was power that we see present to heal, as we'll see in the next passage. But it's a good example for us. Like we go, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time for, for prayer. Like, I, I just have to shorten prayer time because there's so much for me to do. There's so many demands upon my life. Well, that's quite the opposite, that we should actually be seeking the Lord in prayer the busier you are and the more demands that are placed upon you so that we're trusting him and hearing from him and led by him and not panicked, not filled with fear or worries or cares. Luke 5.17, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Mark identifies this as happening in Capernaum. The teaching and fame of Jesus, it had gone out everywhere. It attracted the attention of the Jew Jewish religious leaders. It says, out of everywhere in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, so like the big wigs, the, the, the people, and you notice it today, the further you are away from 
Jerusalem, you, you see more uh, like a higher concentration of um, non-devout people. But the closer you get to Jerusalem, it's like the concentration of devoutness goes up a notch, right? Because the Orthodox people are going to worship at, at the Temple Mount. They are going to be there. And so it's like people came from everywhere to hear him. And it says they sat by to hear him speak, likely more out of curiosity than hoping for a revelation from God. They had heard of this, and they're like, who is this guy, this untrained rabbi that's calling disciples and people are following that we're hearing all this stuff about? I thought Matthew Henry said something pointed uh, and, and insightful about it. He says, they sat by as spectators, censors, and spies to pick up something on which ground on which to ground a reproach or accusation. How many are there in the midst of our assemblies that do not sit under the word, but sit by it as to them a tale that is told them, not as a message that is sent them. They are willing that we should preach before them, not that we should preach to them. And I was like, oh, I can own that one. I remember many times sitting by, and I can even read the word and be sitting by, like, all right, what do you have for me today? Kind of with a sensuous attitude. So, it's a message sent us when we hear the word of God preached and uh, to take that to heart. Like God has something he wants to say to me and to you. He wants to bring wholeness and healing from the inside out. So let's not sit by when God has something to say. Luke, he says, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Who's the them here? Just if testing your English skills? Who's the subject? Is it all the lepers of the world were there? No, it was the religious rulers. It was these leaders sitting by. The power of God was present to heal them. Ironically, people who were able-bodied, ceremonially clean, who knew the law, who probably did not see any need for healing of any kind. This word heal, now this is a different word. So we've heard cleanse now and then healing in verse 15. And now this heal in verse 17. And this is iaomai in Greek, which means to cure or make whole. So it's not therapy. This is talking about a transformation, going from having a permanent condition to being cured, from being broken to being whole. And it's like the power of God was present to make them whole, to cure them of their self-righteousness, to release them from their bondage to sin and the curse that they were under at the moment. Like the leper, these men suffered from a permanent, irreversible condition. The curse of sin. Now the leper, his malady was obvious for everyone to see. You could just look at him, torn clothes, yelling unclean, Smelling like death, you're like, that's a leper. He's unclean. But these guys, they were clean on the outside, right? They didn't look like they had any need for healing. But theirs was a hidden kind in the heart. They were full of sin, just like the leper, just like me, and just like you. We all have this condition, born into flesh. It was a spiritual condition that only Jesus could perceive. And the power was present to heal them. In John, it says, Jesus said to Jews who doubted him, who questioned him, in 5, 39 through 42, he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are, these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. 
I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. They were happy to hear Jesus preach, but they didn't come to him to be born again, to have life. And he says, and I know it because you don't have love in you. Like God's love, it's different than the world's love. It's different than the paternal or maternal love, the love of a marriage relationship. It's beyond any earthly love. It's God's love, which is always active, selfless, sacrificial for the good of others and the glory of God. So the scribes, what they did, they had the law of God, and they used the law to, to claim righteousness because of their attempts and efforts to keep it. But the law could only condemn you. It was given so that every mouth would be stopped and the whole world made guilty before God. That's why the law was given. Not so you could justify yourself, but you could see how deep your sin problem is. How there's no way, no amount of sacrifices can change who you are. Just like no amount of sacrifice can, can heal a leper, can cleanse them. They could have been forgiven and born again. But would they come to him for wholeness and eternal life? Verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. As Jesus is teaching, uh, men brought this paralytic on a bed, someone who couldn't move, hoping for a cure. Now, we don't know how he became paralyzed, but paralysis usually happens when you have damage to your spine, spinal cord, and uh, you're not able to, so it's beyond the numbness of a leper, but you, you have no feeling and, and you have no control over your limbs. Often you can't move at all. Perhaps this person could speak or couldn't speak, we're not told. Um, or you can't control your movement. So they, this guy was in a desperate, a desperate case, and they were bringing him before Jesus, but it was so crowded, people had come from everywhere, there was no way to bring him to Jesus. But they were undeterred. They said, all right, let's go up on the roof, which was flat. They start removing some of the tiles between the beams, get some ropes, and they start lowering this guy while Jesus is teaching right in the middle of the meeting. And I'm thinking, if you're one of the people sitting by, and you're inside, and you hear this like... <laughs> You're like, what is that? And suddenly stuff falls down. There's dirt and, um, you know, maybe the old rat's nest that had been up there. Stuff's debris is raining down, maybe on Jesus, next to Jesus. And I don't know if he's just soldiering on or at some point he just like stopped and hmm, the, the light is breaking through. You know, beams of light are coming through and the dust is getting worse. And, and suddenly this big hole has opened up between the beams and you, you hear the ropes dragging along the side and more debris falling down. And there's this body slowly being lowered down in the middle of the room. I mean, these guys have a sense of urgency that I would not have had. I'd be like, I would have been so embarrassed to cause a disturbance when the great master is preaching, right? I would have said, you know what? He's got to leave the house sometime. We're just going to set up camp outside. When he's ready, he'll come by. We'll grab him. You know, we'll say, hey, Jesus, could you please come over and look at our friend? And, um, and if, I was, if you were the one being lowered down, I mean, I would have been apologizing as it's happening. Sorry for the disturbance. You know, I've, not my idea. You know, they did the damage. I'm sure they'll fix it. Uh, like, I would have been totally trying to deflect and, 
it would have been a bit humiliating, a bit embarrassing, because you're interrupting Jesus speaking. But Jesus is not offended. Jesus is not troubled. He's not tapping his fingers going, I was just about to get to the good part. <laughs> like, I was ready, and now they've interrupted everything. It's ruined. Like, it, it's not that at all. It's not about him, even though it's all about him. The passage doesn't record the man saying anything, but it seems he was willing and glad to come to Jesus. After the man was lowered down, it says in verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. So again, the subject, not the Pharisees and scribes sitting by, now we're focusing on these men. He saw their faith to tear apart a roof, to have a breakthrough so that they could bring this man to Jesus. He connected the deeds of the men with the faith in him. Because they trusted in Jesus, because they believed that Jesus could heal, there was this sense of desperation of like, let's bring him to Jesus now. There's no time to wait. This is his only chance. They brought him to Jesus. And genuine faith will always be seen in works. There will always be a connection between the things you believe and the things that you do. Jesus made that connection in John 5 to faith in God and love. James cites Rahab's example. Because she believed God and feared God, she hid the spies and she sent them back a different way. So faith is shown in practical ways, in the way the decisions we make, in the way we live. Now, anyone can say they believe God, but there must be works that support that fact. These men had that. Now, they're bringing him to be cured, to be healed. But Jesus addresses the man's sin. He says, your sins are forgiven you. I wonder if they were like, oh, well, that's not what we came here for. Like, we want this guy to be well. We want him to be walking and feeling and part of society. And... But that was the man's greatest need, the forgiveness of his sin, because he was like the leper. He was like those Pharisees. He needed a touch of Jesus. He needed to be born again. He needed to be cleansed of his sin. And everyone in that room, they were treated to a living example of how sin affects the whole life of a person, the whole future of a person. And that when you're dead in sins, it's only Jesus that has the power to save you and to cleanse you and to make you whole. Luke also connects faith in Jesus with forgiveness of sins. They believe, they, they trusted God, they trusted Christ, they lowered him down, and he says, seeing their faith, he says, your sins are forgiven. So there's that connection between the two. He did not forgive him because they worked so hard to bring the man, because they sacrificed so much, because it wasn't about their efforts, it was their faith. That's why he was forgiven. Now these Pharisees, they don't like what they're hearing. And, and I learned this this week, that Pharisee means separatist. So these separatists sitting by, listening to what's going on, they're like, what? who does this guy think he is? Forgiving sins. This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And they were right. Luke 5, 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you 
or to say, rise up and walk. After Jesus forgives the sins of the paralyzed man, those scribes and Pharisees, they're thinking about what was said. And it's true, only God has the ability to forgive sin because all sin is against him. He wrote the law. He, only he has the power to forgive you for breaking the law. It's like if I break tax laws by incorrectly reporting my income and I confide in my neighbor, I said, you know, I think I may have, you know, added an extra zero here and missed one there and I'm really sorry about it. I think it's a bad mistake. And they go, oh, don't worry. I forgive you. Am I cool with the ATO? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can have people forgiving me right and left, but that doesn't matter because only the tax office, that, that's between me and them, right? I need to sort it out with them. I need to repay them. I need to give them the proper information. A person who steals, well, you violate the law of Australia, but you also violate God's law. And even if you return the item and you pay a fine or you spend time in prison, it may square you up with society, but it has nothing to do with your relationship with God. You're not sorted between you and God because you were in prison for a year. It doesn't touch it. Even if my crimes are expunged later, where they say, we're going to wipe your record clean. You have no permanent record. Well, I have a permanent record with God, and only he can forgive me. I've got to sort things out with him. If I use the name of the Lord in vain, and I just apologize to the people in earshot, does that do anything between me and God? No. I'm just being polite to the people around me. But the fact is, I have offended a holy God, and it's between him and me that the, there must be a transaction, there must be atonement, there must be a cleansing that I can't get by trying to sort things with other people. I need forgiveness from him. So the scribes and Pharisees were dead accurate in this. It says that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, people accusing him of blasphemy in their minds, he says he answered them. Did you notice that? They didn't say anything. They're like, blasphemy, throwing dirt in the air. They, they didn't do that. They just said, what? who is this? Who does he think he is? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And it says he answered them. Now that would be really weird, right? You're having this inner thought in your head where you're like, I wonder where that accent's from. And I just make eye contact with you and go, oh, it's from the U.S. I'm American by birth. Dual citizen now, but you'd be like, whoa, got to watch my thoughts around you. I mean, it would just be a weird thing. It just doesn't happen. But he just says, why are you reasoning in your hearts? What's easier to say to a paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk. It's like if someone says, bless you, and you're like, I don't really know if I'm blessed or not. I hope I am. There's just no evidence required, right? So saying your sins are forgiven you, I forgive you, you don't know if you're really forgiven. There's no proof that's visible. But if you say to a paralyzed man, rise and walk, well, there's going to have to be power. There's going to have to be something publicly visible that other people can say, wow, he was given the power to rise and walk. And even if a paralyzed person was to suddenly regain feeling in their extremities, I mean, how much special care and equipment and intense physical therapy would you need to just take a couple steps, much less stand up on your own? Uh, there's been great strides with spinal cord injuries over the past years and physical therapy, but the idea that a paralyzed person, a quadriplegic, at the command of saying, get up and walk, 
could do so is ridiculous, right? Unless you have the power to do that. We don't have that power, but God does. I think we could take the forgiveness of sins for granted and how great it is, that it's greater than being instantly cured from paralysis. It's better than that. But because we can take paralysis for, I mean, we can take uh, forgiveness of sins for granted, we go, well, why not both? <laughs> why not um, pain-free existence? And we start to almost value that more than what God has done through forgiving you of sins, which is the source of, of pain, suffering, death, and eternal destruction. I mean, how, how long has it been since you just were blown away that God has forgiven you, that he's actually washed your debt clean, that you are square between him and you by his grace, that all the offenses and all the wickedness and all the thoughts of your heart and your continual disobedience, he has washed that clean because he loves you and he's atoned for you. And you are just enraptured with the power of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God that he would look upon you so deserving of wrath and damnation and he has favored you. He has given you love and a way to know him, a way to have eternal life because you trusted him and even that faith he gave you. May Romans 8, 1 and 2 hit home. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We are free from the law. We are free from the curse. We are set free indeed. How grateful we should be. You have leprosy. It's a slow, um, certain death. Paralysis. It renders a person powerless to do anything for themselves. And that's, that was our condition. We were unable to save ourselves. We were unable to cleanse ourselves. We were broken without healing or hope. And Jesus has come. And the power is present to heal you today. His power is present. Now Jesus continues. Luke 5, 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. To reveal that Jesus has the power to forgive sins, he said the harder thing. It's nothing to say, I forgive you. You don't know if you're forgiven or not, but he says, I say to you, so you know that I have the power. The Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. And he did. The men who brought the man to Jesus demonstrated faith. Now this man demonstrates faith through obedience. He does exactly what Jesus said. He takes up his bed, he stands up, picks up his bed, and goes home. It's so telling that Jesus said, I say to you, he did not refer to anyone besides himself because the healing virtue, the, the saving virtue, the cleansing, it came from him because he's God. And that's what Jesus was showing through this miracle. He's saying, 
Yes, only God can forgive sins. I can forgive sins. I am God. This is the connection that they were supposed to make from the thing that he did. I mean, it was totally shocking to see this, I mean, the whole scene, right? The, the ceiling opening up, the guy being lowered down, uh, him being able to stand up and leave. And it's like that, the fact, but, but the thing that we miss, right, is the forgiveness. He forgave him. He was forgiven. Now, I would have been gobsmacked like everybody to see a, a paralytic stand up, carry his bed, and leave. But they should have been equally or even more gobsmacked that he forgave the man's sins. And he just proved he could do it. Everyone's amazed. They're glorifying God. And the man, too. It says he rose up glorifying God. And then everyone's like, wow. We have seen some strange things. I wonder if the purpose for that miraculous healing was understood by the people. I think we can be more infatuated with the healing power of God rather than the power to forgive sins. Sickness and death, they're just symptoms of an underlying problem of sin. So if you said, which would you rather have, you know, uh, five cents or $10,000 put into your account? And you're like, oh, I think 10000 because that could be really helpful, much more than five cents. Um, but it's like, would you rather be healed of your paralysis or forgiven of your sins? Well, it's the same thing. Being healed of your paralysis is a very little thing compared to eternal salvation because you've been forgiven of your sins. Your sins have been atoned for by God. It's so far greater, it's not even comparable. That, that example is a very poor, weak one. So forgiveness of sins, it's amazing. It, I remember going to a, uh, a meeting. It was a, it was a healing meeting, um, and we kind of were going to check it out, see what, what things were going on there. I was a kid. I don't know, I was probably 10. And there was a lady who had been confined in a wheelchair since her childhood, and she was middle-aged. And she was really excited at the prospect of, you know, I, I might not need this chair after this meeting. Right? There was this kind of, I might walk out of that place. So she was really excited. Well, sadly, uh, she was not chosen to come forward. I think there were three people that, that were chosen to be healed like I said, it was a long time ago, I don't remember, but I do remember her being really sad that I was kind of bummed out, like you got missed. There was a chance of healing, it didn't happen, now I'm stuck. But there was a great joy in her that, ongoing, that I am a child of God, my sins are forgiven. And that is where the joy came from, from within. It wasn't because, and so it's like, she went on a hope that she could be healed, but with the forgiveness of sins, it's a sure thing. It's a guarantee. Jesus has the power to heal you. He has the power to cleanse you, to make you whole, to be born again. And you don't have to wonder, am I forgiven or maybe not forgiven? You are if you're in Christ, if you trust in him. And we know that on the strength of the scripture. Having been forgiven forever, we'd think that that joy would just always be right there for us, but it's not, is it? We can be in pain. We can be, have sleepless nights. We can worry and just be broken down by the, the pressures of this world. Like, how can I let this temporary discomfort distract me from the fact that I'm forgiven and that I'm a child of God? And, and you're not alone when you think that because David asked that many times throughout the Psalms. 
He says in Psalm 42, 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so he, they, they thought it was an amazing thing. They thought it was a strange thing that this paralytic would be healed, forgiven of his sins. And David thought it was strange and odd that being, having a God like God and being forgiven and a place in God's kingdom that he had given him, he's like, well, why am I cast down? That was strange. Why am I so depressed? Why am I just bummed out? Well, hoping God, soul. He's like, kind of buck up. Look to God, David. He's not telling someone else to do it. He's talking to himself. So it's not for us to say, hey, buck up, pal, to somebody else who's struggling. Take that from David to your own heart. Take that personally and, and say, you know, I have so much reason to rejoice and to praise God and to thank him because he has saved me and to glorify him and have that joy that springs out. It is fitting that we would always be amazed by him because he is our living hope. He is our deliverer and our redeemer. His power is ever present to cleanse, to heal to forgive. Let's turn to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Jesus referred to himself many times as the son of man. And I think it's cool to see a place where it is found in the Old Testament. Because we see that this son of man, who Jesus referred to himself as, has all glory and dominion and an everlasting kingdom and those who are admitted, they're never outside. We never have to be outside the camp, outside the congregation, because we're unclean, because we've drawn near to Jesus, and he's washed us. He's purified us. Daniel seven, thirteen. So it is in the Old Testament. Just hear a bit of rustling over there. Daniel 7, 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed." So Jesus, he's come into a world corrupted by the curse of sin. It's filled with uncleanness, hopelessness, pain, illness, death, to redeem those under the curse, to bring them into his kingdom, to adopt them into his family as children of God. It's a kingdom where righteousness dwells. It's an eternal dominion. Think of all the kings that have led great conquests to overthrow other countries and governments. But Jesus is the only one who's still reigning, and he overthrew sin and death. Nobody could touch it. Nobody could deal with that. But Jesus has overcome, and we are conquerors through him. He was able and willing to cleanse lepers, to forgive the sins of a paralytic, to enable him to rise and walk. Let's not just sit by when Jesus has come. And he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And the power of God is present to heal because Jesus is the Son of God, the one who can forgive sins. 
So let's let our hope be in God. Let us praise him. Let's be like that ex-leper and ex-paralytic. It's kind of odd that we don't even have another way to reference them. We don't know their names. But we can't call them leper and paralytic anymore because they're fundamentally different now. Now we're not looking at them in light of their weakness or deformity or disability. We're looking at them as people touched by Jesus. And that's who we are. People who have been touched and forgiven by Jesus. The ones made whole. So are you cast down, though you've been forgiven? Is there someone that you identify with in this passage? The leper who was the untouchable one, the the unclean one, the, the paralytic who was powerless to help or even feed himself, to wash himself, or the Pharisees who sat by? We can't hide from any of these pictures. Let's be the one who trusts in Jesus and comes to him and says, Jesus, if you're willing, and I know you are, cleanse me, wash me, forgive me, draw me to yourself. He's our only hope for forgiveness in life. Let's thank him. Thank you, God, that you've sent Jesus to be our Savior, that his touch makes all the difference. Lord, show us our deep need for you, because we can be as those Pharisees who sit by, who say, I have, I'm clean, I'm I'm healthy, I'm well, things are good, not realize that we need you. We need to trust you right now and that you have given us life and the power of God is present because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you've sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and to help us, to guide us into all truth. And we pray, Lord, that we would rejoice in you. We would glorify you. We would be like those men of faith that brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus that we wouldn't be ashamed to say your name. They wouldn't be afraid of what people think when they need Jesus and we could tell them about him. Lord, help us to trust you and to follow you, not to be like my friend in the, in the chair who, who felt like she had been missed. Lord, we know that you love everyone, that every nation, tribe, and tongue, they are to serve you and to glorify you. And we desire to draw near to you and to praise you and extol your holy name. And we thank you, Lord, for this place where you've given us to worship you and these songs that we can sing in your word that just, it pierces us, it ministers to us, it is that therapy that we need. And I pray, Lord, that you would just empower us by your spirit to trust you, to walk in your ways and to lead others to you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.